Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, May 15th, 2023, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our study on the book of 1 Timothy, and we'll be looking specifically at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. And we are so grateful just to open up God's Word and to study God's Word and hope that you enjoy this Defender Bible study. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. And this morning, we're going to be looking specifically at the household of God, particularly as Paul speaks to Timothy about the work of deacons or leading servants. He's also going to speak about the significance of the church and ultimately as well about the supremacy of Christ. And so Paul unpacks so much in these short nine verses, and there's so much rich theology, even in a a litany of adjectives that we are going to see as Paul describes, again, deacons, the significance of the church, and the supremacy of Christ. And so we want to look this morning at the household of God. Again, while we at Lifeline may not be a church, we know that we work to serve the body of Christ, and we must therefore also be a member of a church, and we are called ultimately to support the work of the church. Now, I truly believe these nine verses are, are significant to us, not just as individual members of a church, but also to us as a ministry of lifeline for several reasons. And the first reason is that as a ministry, we are actually doing the work of deacons. And as we're going to read in Acts chapter six here in just a minute, verses one through seven, a huge work of the deacons was ministry to widows and to the vulnerable. And the word deacon is used both in noun and verb form over a hundred times in the New Testament. And it's literally translated in Ephesians 4.12, and it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. And so deacon is really a work of ministry. And so here at Lifeline, our work of ministry is helping the church see the importance of caring for orphan and vulnerable children. But but then the second reason I believe that this passage is so significant for us as a ministry is because that we do exist to equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to vulnerable children. So as a ministry, we recognize that the church is the most essential body in the world. It is the household of God and the instrument that he uses to reach the nations. And so as we see the significance of the church, we as God's people joined together in this ministry of Lifeline confess the significance of the church because we want to equip that body ultimately to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. But then then the third reason that I think that these nine verses are so significant to us even as a ministry is because ultimately we recognize that Christ and his work are supreme For the only significant life change that can ever be experienced is a life that's been changed by Christ. Without Christ and with his work of salvation, all other things that we do are futile. 
And so with that introduction, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. This is what Paul says to Timothy, his beloved, his child in the faith, his protege, the one he was pouring his life into. Verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they can prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. You see, Paul turns his attention here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 from elders to deacons. And he doesn't list here the responsibility of deacons, only the qualifications of the deacons. However, it's important that we understand not just the qualifications, but also the roles and the responsibilities of the deacons so that we can even appreciate what these qualifications really mean. Why are these qualifications so important? We need to know the three primary responsibilities of deacons. And, and if we see that, we can see that in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And that's what this says. It says, now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12, the 12 apostles, they, they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who what we shall appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and of Philip and of Procurus and of Nicanor and of Timon and of Parmenius and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And it says, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so we see three qualifications for deacons that are found in the book of Acts. But the first thing, before we look at these qualifications, I want us to see the movement of prayer. I want us to see that in verse 6, it says, they set before the apostles and they prayed. Beloved, just one of the things I want us to see before we even look at the roles and responsibilities is this. Any great movement of God is started by prayer. 
And so I pray that even as we look at the similarities between the role of deacons and that that we serve in the ministry of Lifeline, even as we look at the significance of the church and the supremacy of Christ, let us not neglect the laying on of the hands and the praying. May we take these things before the Lord. So three primary roles of deacons. And remember, deacons are responsible for leading others to serve. They're the leading servants who lead the church into service. The first thing is they meet needs according to the word. We see that in verse one, a complaint comes apart because they had neglected in the daily distribution. The deacon ministry arises to meet the needs of these specific circumstances situations in which the vulnerable are being neglected and their ministry is not only to aid the church in caring for widows and orphans and the vulnerable but also into modeling such behavior for the entire church the writer of hebrews says in hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 through 25 it says and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, deacons literally are stirring up the church to follow the commands of service from God's word by modeling the behavior for the body. So not only do the deacons meet the needs, they show the way of the church and its service and its application of God's word. But then the second thing we see is they support the ministry of the word. Here in Acts chapter four, it sees that the the disciples are coming before them and they say, hey, we're we're hardly able to really look at preaching the gospel and we're not able to, to study the word of God. So they pick out these people so that ultimately the elders could what? Devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so when deacons or servants are leading in the service of the church, it allows the elders to spend the necessary time shepherding the church and proclaiming God's word to the church. In Acts, the deacons were serving as supporters and encouragers and examples of obedience to the word of God being proclaimed by the elders. So the elders proclaimed it, and then the deacons gave the obedience, the example of obedience to the word of God. So not only do deacons serve, they lead others to serve, and by doing this, they greatly support the primary work of the church, which is the ministry of the word. But then the third thing we see is they ultimately unify the church around the word and the ultimate mission. You see, deacons were appointed to squelch the tension and the rising disunity in the church. Physical neglect was causing disunity among the body of believers. Brothers and sisters we see here were beginning to complain and grumble against one another. The Hellenists were arising against the Hebrews saying, hey, our widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. However, the deacons were coming to unify the church around the service that comes in the word of God. And they ultimately helped the church fulfill the greatest mission, the Great Commission. Look again at what Acts 6, 7 says once these deacons have been appointed. So the deacons are appointed. The apostles have prayed and laid their hands on them. And then verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. You see, when the church is unified, the nations are reached with the gospel. And notice not only did believers multiply greatly, but even Jewish priests begin to see the gospel. 
and to follow Jesus as the true Messiah. Beloved, this reminds us about the two great calls of Christian service. We are led and called to serve as a response to our salvation in Christ. And then in turn, we are called through our service to make the gospel known to the nations. And this ultimately leads us back to to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 3 is we see the qualifications of the deacons. We know the deacons must have a mission mindset because of the responsibilities they've been given in Acts chapter 6. But we also see here that they're supposed to exemplify the character of Christ. So we see seven qualifications of godly servants in the church that ultimately, beloved, we should all strive to have. This is really not just for deacons to exemplify Christ and to exemplify the character of Christ. This is for all Christ followers to exemplify the character of Christ. And so the first thing we see is that godly servants are honorable. Verse 8 says, deacons are likewise to be dignified. Paul tells Titus in Titus 2, chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, he says, show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. You see, honorable men and women conduct themselves in such a way that no one has anything evil to say about us. Now, this doesn't connote perfection, beloved, for only Christ Jesus was perfect. But what it does mean is that these are believers who are quick to hear and slow to speak. These are brothers and sisters who seek restitution and reconciliation when they have been angry or hurt another. So the question is, are we living honorable lives? But then the second qualification is that godly servants are genuine. Verse 8 also says that they must be dignified, but also not double-tongued. Deacons are not to be double-tongued or devious in speech. In other words, deacons should let their yes be their yes and their no be their no, because they are genuine. Paul tells the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Deacons are Christ followers who despise evil and cling tight to what is good. They are genuine. When you see them, you see the character of Christ. The question is, are we living genuine lives? But then third, godly servants are self-controlled. Verse 8 says that they are not addicted to much wine. Therefore, the servants of the Lord are self-controlled. They exemplify the call of Paul to the church in Corinth, being willing to put aside any behavior which might make a weaker brother stumble. Beloved, I'm afraid that many times as servants of the Lord, we flaunt our liberties or we give over to worldly living and we take advantage of the grace of God. You see, beloved, we are now living in a post-modern, post-Christian culture. And if the church begins to look like the culture, living like the culture, with licentious living, then how are we showing that our hope is not in the things of this world, in money, in sex, in alcohol, in pleasure, but that our hope 
is in the living God. And as servants of the living God, we are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, showing that our lives are not our own, but they are now hidden with Christ. And so the question is, are we living self-controlled lives? That brings us to the fourth qualification, and it says that godly servants are sacrificial givers. The text actually says that deacons are not greedy for a dishonest gain. They are not greedy for a dishonest gain. In other words, deacons are givers living open-handed lives. Deacons are those who know that life is a vapor and they cannot take anything with them. They realize that every good and perfect gift is a gift of God who is not, who there is no variation in God. He is not like a shifting shadow. And therefore, they live open-handed lives ready to share with anyone in need. Deacons, if they're going to serve, have got to be givers, and not just of their time, but also of their resources and their talent. The question before us is, are we living generous lives? And then fifth, the fifth qualification is that godly servants are devoted to the word of God. Verse 9 says, they must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Beloved, deacons are those that hide God's word in their heart so that they will not sin against him. We are what we consume. We memorize what we read, listen to, and meditate upon. Deacons love God's word. They feed on it and they memorize it. As servants here at Lifeline, may we be devoted to the study of God's word and we, may we hide it in our hearts. And beloved, we cannot be devoted to God's word if we're not spending time daily in God's word. As servants of the most high God, we must know his word. We must memorize his word. We must ruminate on God's word. I would pray of my own life and our lives as well, that when we are squeezed by all of life's trouble, what comes out is the word of God and the goodness of God and the pleasures of God. And so the question is, are we living lives devoted to God's word? But then the sixth qualification is that godly servants are faithful. Verse 10 says this, it says, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves. And the word here is blameless. A true godly servant is trustworthy and completely faithful in all that they set out to do. You know that a deacon can be trusted to guard, protect, and to promote the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, deacons are faithful. They do what they say they're going to do. They show up when they say they're going to show up. They're good to their word. They do everything that they're supposed to do. You know that they're going to show up. They work to the very last minute. They do everything ultimately for the pleasure and the glory of Christ Jesus. So the question before us today is, are we living faithful lives? But then seventh, we see that godly servants honor Christ in their homes. Verses 11 through 13 talk about the household of a deacon. And some say, say may say that this really gets to meddling. I mean, it starts talking about a, a husband of one wife, and it starts to talk about managing their children of their household, and that they have a good standing within their home. What we really must see, beloved, is that God is a God of order, and servants must prioritize the leadership in their home above their leadership at the church. You see, if they cannot manage the affairs of their home, Paul says, 
then they shouldn't be managing the household of God. Beloved, we serve a God of order. You cannot be effective in ministry if you're out of balance. The ordered life of a Christ follower is that devotion to the Lord is first and supreme. And then this devotion to Jesus flows into the second priority of the home and family. But then this ultimately flows into the work of the ministry. So, beloved, you cannot be effective in ministry if you're not first prioritizing your own time with the Lord and your time and leadership within your family. And so the question before us is, are we honoring Christ fully with our lives? And so we see that deacons and servants of the church, they're those that the church appoints. And those are those that are followed. They're servant leaders who are committed to the mission of Christ, who build up the body of Christ, and who multiply the gospel throughout the world. And this ultimately leads us to verses 14 and 15, which show us that the church is significant because it is the household of God. Mark Dever of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C. says this about the significance of the church. He says it is the most vital part of Christian theology, and it is vitally connected with every other part. You see, we see in 1 Timothy 3 several ways that the church is significant and vital. The first way is that the church is an expression of God's family. You see, we are the household of God. We are his children. Therefore, we settle under God's rule and direction. He is our father. And out of respect for our father, we follow his ways. The church is set apart from the world because we joyfully follow our father. You see, just like I am the father of children, my children obey me. Because they are part of our household, we talk about this is what a new world does because you're of this family. This is how we act. This is, this is what we do. This is how we want to be known outside of our home. In the same way, beloved, the church is an expression of God's family. Therefore, we're an expression of God's rule. We're those who come under the authority of our God. But then the second way that we see the significance of the church is that the church is the dwelling place of God's presence. Verse 15 says, the church is a dwelling place. It's the household of God. It is the church of the living God. Just as David wanted to build a house of cedar for God, and the tabernacle was the temporary dwelling place of God, the Lord now dwells in and among his people within the household of God. Genesis 28, verse 16 and 17 he says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Beloved, when Jacob arose from his sleep, the, the ladder descending and ascending from heaven, he understood that this was the place, the dwelling place of God. But in Exodus 25, 8, we see that Moses is commanded to make a sanctuary for the Lord so that he would dwell in their midst. But then that leads us to the new covenant of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, when it says, In him you also are being built together into what a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, the church, the corporate body of Christ followers, is the place where God lives. It's where he dwells. It's where he manifests his presence. It's so beloved. The church is significant 
because it's the dwelling place of God's presence. But but then third, last and final third, the church is the protector of God's word. Verse 15 says the church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. The church is responsible and privileged to preserve God's word by holding it firm and preaching it accurately. Also, we hold God's word high as the central focus of our gatherings. You see, beloved, we should be looking to be a member of a church that has good fellowship with other believers. But ultimately, we're not looking at a church because of its worship. We're not looking at a church because of of the friends we may have there. We're not looking at a church because of the great community groups or small groups it has. We're ultimately looking to be part of a faith family that holds high and protects the fidelity of the word of God. Ultimately, beloved, the church is significant because it is the place that holds high the word of God in our culture. So we need to be a part of a faith family that accurately and faithfully preaches the word of God. The church is significant because of the all-inspiring reality that God dwells among us, which leads us ultimately to the richness of verse 16 and the supremacy of Christ. Listen to the way that Paul quotes here of the goodness of God of the supremacy of Christ. It says this, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up in glory. Beloved, the ultimate awe-inspiring truth is that the spirit of the living God lives within his people. He is preeminent and he dwells in his people. And ultimately, he is supreme and he is the only name. He is the name above all names, the only name under which men in heaven and under heaven and under the earth must proclaim the name of Jesus. His name is supreme. It's the only name that should be proclaimed among the nations. How sad it is today that you can go into about every country, every hamlet, and every village, and they have heard of Coca-Cola. But yet there are brothers and sisters that are giving their life to proclaim this glorious gospel in places where Coca-Cola may be known, but where Jesus Christ is not known. He is supreme. He is the one that we must make known. And ultimately, that supreme one dwells and lives within his people. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and will walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. The God-centered life is a Christ-empowered life. And there's nothing like the church in all the world, no other body more significant in all of history, nor will there ever be. Let us then pay close attention to God's instruction about the way we live and relate to one another within the church, knowing that ultimately we are all temples of the most high God who reigns supreme. Beloved, we are servants of the most high God. The church 
is ultimately the most significant body in all the world. And Jesus Christ, he is supreme. In his name is the only name that deserves to be proclaimed among the nations. Beloved, this is what it means to be a part of the household of God. Well, this week we are praying for our counseling ministry, and not only for our counselors, but also for the children and the parents who are seeking counseling, that that the Lord would truly not only provide wisdom for the counselors, but that they would provide help and healing through the hope of the gospel and God's word to those uh, who are receiving this counsel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray specifically for counselors, for those receiving counseling, and for uh, all the many things in our counseling program that are going on. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, we thank you so much for the counselors that you have blessed us with in Birmingham and in Tuscaloosa and in Huntsville and in Georgia and in Louisiana and North Carolina. Lord, I thank you for these women and the way that you have trained them, the way that you have provided for them, the way that you have gifted them. I pray for each of these therapists that they would have wisdom in guiding and leading families while remaining grounded in the gospel and in your word. Would, would all of these ladies just be seeking you with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their soul, and with all of their strength? I pray that they would know how and when to seek guidance for difficult situations and would feel supported uh, by one another, but ultimately as well by your Holy Spirit. I pray for wisdom in knowing who to say yes to, uh, when and to pull families off the wait list. And, and Lord, you know that, that our capacity is, is, is minimal. Uh, but the need is great. And so, Lord, give us wisdom uh, to know how we can navigate and help as many people as possible. Lord, we, we do pray for the individuals that are beginning to process deep trauma and that they would have con- courage to continue to, to hand over the hurt and the pain to you. I pray that you would just work in the hearts of parents to keep them focused on the eternal value of adoption and that they can see their own struggles through the lens of the gospel and see their kids' struggles through the lens of the gospel. We pray that that children would continue to find connection with their families, but ultimately, Lord, that they would not just connect to their family, but that they would be discipled in you and find connection to your goodness, your grace, and your gospel. We pray for just more adoption and foster care competent providers to feel free to call to be called to serve this population. We ask that you give us opportunities to train them and to help provide care for them so that they ultimately can be available for families across the nation. So pray for this this network of biblically trauma-informed adoption and foster care competent providers in this network. And Lord, we pray that professionals would invest in training by attending our upcoming opportunities, that you would just lay the need and the importance of these experience on their hearts, provide a way for the right people to attend. Lord, for even this month, the emotionally focused therapy core skills, and and in August, the, the dynamic development psychotherapy skills. Lord, we're grateful that we can do these trainings and do them from a biblical worldview. We pray for the demands on mental health care needs and that they will be met creatively and our communities can come together to love and support one another, especially through the local church. And Lord, we we do praise you for the families. We pray that, praise you that you've brought them and you've given them courage and faithfulness to, to go and to take this step. We would pray that you continue to give them strength for the journey as the journey continues. We, we thank you for the support of our team, for the counseling ministry, especially for our board and for the way that they've leaned in 
into that. And we just thank you for the amazing growth we've seen over the past year, both internal, but also with outside partnerships, but also as we are seeing healing and health come to those families that are seeking out counseling. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for our counseling program. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.